Well, good evening, and let me say welcome again. My name is Rob Yancey, and I'm a pastor out at our Fairfax site, Capital Press Fairfax. Hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving. I know I enjoyed the chance to travel home, be in Western North Carolina with my family, and I am thankful for the opportunity to be with my family of faith tonight, my family of faith from McLean and from Fairfax. We're thankful for all the support and prayers we've had as we've launched the new work in Fairfax. We're excited about celebrating our first Advent season and our first uh, candlelight Christmas Eve service. would love for you to pray for us and for that time and to let any people you know out in Fairfax to come and to join us. You know, in this Advent season that our our series is Behold the Kingdom, and here we are celebrating the arrival of the King and waiting for his return, so we thought it was appropriate in this season to consider the kingdom of God. This uh, evening, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. If you're using one of our church's Bible, it's there on page 810. Let's turn and look at our God's Word together. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Merciful and mighty God, we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would speak to our souls. For many of us over the past uh, several days, we have eaten far too much food, and we have driven far too many miles, and we have been among families in all of their glory and all of their mess. And as we close this weekend, as we close this day, we, we need to hear from you. We need to see Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. One of my wife's absolute favorite books is called In the Hiding Place. It's by a lady named Corey Ten Boom. Uh, She was born in the Netherlands, grew up there as the daughter of a watchmaker in May of 1940. The German army rolled into town and occupied the Netherlands, and the book, In the Hiding Place, is about hers and her family's and others' um, resistance to the German occupation, uh, primarily by sheltering and hiding Jews. My wife has read this book countless times. Uh, She has told me again and again that I need to read this book. Um... It's not that I don't have a desire to read the book. There's a lot of books that I, I, I desire to read. If, if reading books were as easy as ordering them on Amazon, I wouldn't have this problem. Um, but that's not the world we live in. Uh, and uh, I love my wife. Uh, I love her for a whole 
host of reasons, but, but, but one of them is my, my wife knows I should read this book. She knows it would be good for me, and she knows it would be good for my soul and my ministry to read this book. She knows we are going on an eight-hour car drive down to Western North Carolina, 16-hour round trip. She knows there's an app called Audible uh, that allows you to listen to books. So I have read In the Hiding Place by Corey Tin Boom now. Uh, and I would agree, you should read it too. Um, I'm thankful to have a spouse like my wife that loves me in those ways. What, what does this have to do with the kingdom of God? Um, what does it have to do with our passage tonight, being salt and light? Um, it's this, when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to his ways, often they are so different from ours and so different from the world that we live in that it behooves us, it helps us to reorient our hearts and minds time and again around what the kingdom of God actually is. And there's a particular passage in uh, the hiding place where you see this reality uh, bright and clear. Uh, this, this passage in the book, Corey Ten Boom is recounting an experience she has with a Nazi prison guard. She's actually not in a concentration camp yet. She finds herself ultimately in a concentration camp, but uh, this interaction happens in a prison uh, in Amsterdam before she is transported to the concentration camp. Uh, hear what she has to say, how she retells it. Uh, she's in this uh, dialogue with a a Nazi prison guard. And he says, your other activities, Miss Tin Boom, what would you like to tell me about them? And, and what he's wanting to do is to get her to tell about her sheltering and hiding these Jews. She knows that, but she's going to answer in a way that's true, but doesn't give away the information. She says this, other activities? Oh, you mean you want to know about my church for mentally retarded people? And I plunged into an eager account of my efforts at preaching to the feeble-minded. The lieutenant's eyebrows rose higher and higher. What a waste of time and energy, he exploded at last. If you want converts, surely one normal person is worth all the half-wits in the world. I stared into the man's intelligent blue-gray eyes. True National Socialist philosophy, I thought. And then to my astonishment... I heard my own voice saying boldly, may I tell you the truth, Lieutenant Roms? This hearing, Miss Tin Boom, is predicated on the assumption that you will do me that honor. The truth, sir, I said, swallowing, is that God's viewpoint is sometimes different from ours. So different that we could not even guess at it unless he had given us a book which tells us such things. I knew it was madness to talk to this way to a Nazi officer, but he said nothing, so I plunged ahead. Um, in the Bible, I learned that God values us not for our strength or our brains, but simply because he has made us. Who knows? In his eyes, a halfwit may be worth more than a watchmaker or a lieutenant. And this evening, we have the book that Corey Ten Boom speaks of that tells us about the kingdom, the kingdom that is so very different than we think it is, God's ways, which are so very different than the world that we live in. And so if you were with us this morning or earlier this evening, you heard us speak about the kingdom of God and what it is and how it comes. 
We're going to carry on that same theme, and we're going to look at a couple other things. We're going to look at um, who receives this call of the kingdom that Jesus speaks about right here and where we're called to labor or work. So we're, if we looked this morning or earlier this evening at what and how, we're going to look tonight at who and where. So let's start with that. Who, who receives the call of the kingdom? We, re, we read the first words of our passage tonight, and it says, you are the salt of the earth. And, and the first thing it would be helpful for us to de- do tonight is, is ask ourselves, who is Jesus talking to? When he says you, who is he talking to? Because he makes these statements throughout our passage. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. If we look at the beginning of the chapter, we see that the scene is Jesus has got crowds around him. And Matthew tells us there at the beginning of chapter 5, verse 1, that the disciples have actually come to him and, and he sits down and he starts to teach them. That's the you that he's speaking to. And I appreciate the way that Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, he was a physician turned pastor from Wells. He, he describes the scene this way. He says, you, said our Lord, looking out upon those simple people, those entirely unimportant people from the standpoint of the world, you are the light of the world. I mean, think about that language, the light of the world. I mean, that... Telling someone they're the light of the world, that sounds like language that would be more appropriate maybe for a graduation at um, an Ivy League school, right? You you graduates, you are the light of the world. Uh, Full disclosure, when I typed in Ivy League, the little spell check thing let me know that I spelled it wrong. So, (laughs) sobering reality for me. But it sounds like uh, the light of the world, that the, the, those people are found in the, I believe, the light of the world, well, that sounds like language that would be appropriate for the boardroom of, you know, a high-powered Silicon Valley, you know, up-and-coming company. It's not the case, right? He says, you are the light of the world to these everyday, ordinary followers of Jesus. He's speaking to his followers. Uh, the world would not take much account of them. We, we don't know their names, but he's telling them and speaking to them that you are the light of the world. You know, sometimes when we read passages like this, we tend to make it about others. We think, oh, uh, light of the world, salt of the earth. Yeah, that's what those early Christians were. That, he, Jesus is talking about them. Or, or Jesus is talking about other Christians. That They're the salt of the earth. They are the light of the world, but... Friends, in those verses, Jesus is talking to you, and he's talking to me. If you are his follower, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. That means every Christian, young and old. So students tonight, you go to school this next week. You are called to be salt and light, all right? It's not like when you grow up, then you're salt and light, all right? No. No. If you're a follower of Christ and a student, you're called to be salt and light. Um, Retirement. Retirement is not a get out of salt and light free card. All right? Uh, It's not like you've done enough salt and light over the years that now you don't have to do salt and light anymore. Every Christian, every age, every stage of life is called to be salt and light. That's the who he's talking to. And can we we venture into the self-awareness zone? Um, 
Can we add maybe one more potentially awkward family conversation to this Thanksgiving Day weekend? Um, I love being Presbyterian, all right? I wouldn't want to be anything else. But sometimes our desire to do things uh, in, in decent and good order leads us to, um, leads us to inactivity, Leads us to kind of sitting on the sidelines. Friends, you, you don't need to wait for permission to be salt and light. Uh, you don't need a title to be salt and light. You don't need to be ordained to be salt and light. Uh, you don't need a two-thirds majority vote by the salt and light committee to be salt and light. You don't need to take a class on what it looks like to think about praying about being salt and light. And there's a place for committees and there's a place for classes. But Jesus says in these verses, just as forcefully to those in the first century as he does to us now in 2019, that we are called to be salt and light. And right now you have all that you need to be salt and light. If you are a follower of Christ, you have all that you need in him to be salt and light. If you have an Ivy League degree and you're in boardrooms, praise God. He can use those things, but he does not need them. All he needs is your faithfulness and obedience and your acceptance of his grace to work in and through you to be salt and light. So point one, who is called into the work of the kingdom? Every Christian, young and old, from every walk of life. Um, point number two, where are we called to? What's this salt and light stuff all about? What is Jesus getting at when he's talking about salt and light? Uh, we have several challenges when it comes to, to filling the force of these words, understanding their meaning. It's because our relationship with salt and light is very different than the relationship of the, uh, the original audience here, right? Like, so when we think of salt, all right, what do we think of? We think we use salt to flavor food for most of us. Like that's what we think of when we think of salt, right? Like salt makes my waffle fries taste better. And salt makes my vegetables taste less bad. All right? Like that's, kids, you should eat your vegetables. But I'm not going to lie to you. They don't taste as good as waffle fries. Um, we think of salt and flavoring. But that's not what the original audience would have thought of when they thought salt. They didn't think like, oh, yeah, salt. That's what I use to put on my lentils and my quail. All right? That's not what they would have thought about. They would have thought salt. That's what preserves my food from spoiling. Right, like I use salt because I don't want my food to rot and go bad and, and taste horrible. That's what they thought of when they thought of salt. If you're from the South, the closest thing we can compare it to is country ham, right? Right, like country ham, we, we, uh, you, you put so much salt on it that it's cured and, and you don't need to put it in the refrigerator. It doesn't need refrigeration. That's the kind of thing, that's, that's what they're thinking of when they think about salt. And again, the same thing with light. Right? Our, our, our relationship with light is radically different than their relationship with light in the first century. I think we can all agree with that, right? We sit in a room right now, eight chandeliers, 
20 wall sconces, six spotlights. We got so much light, we just throw them up on trees, right? Like, oh, we got plenty of light. Just throw it up on the tree. Got all kinds of light. Um, Not so in the first century. Uh, The darkness of the first century to them meant, in the darkness, I am vulnerable uh, to harm by people or uh, by animals. In the darkness, I could get lost and there's no GPS to get me found. And so that could have significant consequences. In the darkness, life grinds to a halt. So when Jesus is talking about, uh, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, by using those elements, He's telling them what they're called to by showing them where they're called to. And that Christians, um, you are called to enter into the decay and the darkness of the world. And if you remember from this morning when we talked about the fall, when we talked about the time that uh, our first ancestors... Uh, Adam and Eve, when, when, when they turned from God uh, and they went after their own kingdom, and from that point for, forward, the default setting of all of us uh, was to seek our own kingdom. And, and then and there, the way of the world became decay and darkness. I don't have the time to prove the point about decay in the world, but all you got to do is think about our bodies. All you got to do is think about relationships. All you got to do is think about the laws of thermodynamics. In all of these places, you see that decay is the way of the world. Darkness is the way of the world that we live in. And Jesus says to them, salt and light, that's where you're called to enter into and bring my grace and my hope and my peace. Here's one of the challenges we face, though. We live in Northern Virginia. And we drive around these streets Uh, We see well-manicured lawns. We see professional people. uh, And we are tempted to believe the lie, well, there's no decay and darkness around. Right? Like everything seems well and good. There's no use for me being salt and light when there is no decay and no darkness. But I think if you will look just a little bit closer, you'll just take a gaze underneath the surface there. If you'll lean in a little closer and get to know people and, and see what's going on in their lives, you know that there is plenty of decay and darkness, plenty of desperation and hurt and suffering behind the walls of our nice houses and in the midst of families that look well put together. Relational brokenness, there's mental health issues, there's, there's addictions, there's those that struggle with the, the seeming futility of life and boredom, distracting themselves with technology and all kinds of other things. There's, there's plenty of darkness and decay in the world that we live in. It's clear that things fall apart. But the question to us is, how do we respond to that? How do we react to that? As Christians, um, when we see darkness and decay... Um, do we shy away? Um, when we see darkness and decay, do we kind of circle our wagons and become insular and saying, we want to make sure that stays away from us on the outside? Or as Christians, when we see darkness and decay, when we see pain and suffering, do we lean in? Do we move forward to extend the grace and hope of Christ into those settings? A couple examples uh, to wrap up with. 
Uh, high schoolers, you're walking into school tomorrow, all right? Um, this applies, the, you can use this example for non-high schoolers, just apply it to your situation. Okay, you're all bright people, so I'll let you translate. But we'll stick with high schoolers, all right? High schoolers, you're walking into school tomorrow. Your temptation is going to be uh, to, to walk in in a way that is just focused on yourself, self-centered, absorbed in yourself. And that, that temptation is not unique to high schoolers. That's a human temptation. So you walk into school and you're, you're wondering, what are other people thinking about me, about my clothes, about my hair, uh, about what kind of backpack or water bottle I have, about this little bump on my face? Like you're just, uh, that's what you're obsessed with. And, and um, you don't, if you're walking in that way, you're not going to see what's going on around you. And I want to challenge you. There's a different way to walk into high school tomorrow or your workplace, or the grocery store, right? You, you, can, you can pray before you get to school and say, hey, God, uh, help me see where there is hurting. Um, I guarantee you there are students at your school, at your high school, students whose parents are alcoholics, students whose parents are workaholics, uh, students whose parents or themselves struggle with mental health issues. There is a, a whole world of decay and darkness in the lives of the students around you. Would you, would you go into school, you could, you could say, God, help me to see some of the pain and suffering and get outside of myself tomorrow when I go into school and walk into school and look for that and have conversations in your art classes or history classes, whatever they might be. And you could do anything from like inviting them over to your house. Because maybe you have parents that are great parents. Maybe you think they're boring or dress funny or tell stupid jokes, but please know this, there are countless students in your school that would love to come and sit at your table with your boring parents and just know the love and peace of that home. Friends, I, I think sometimes opening up our homes and sharing a seat at our table is one of the most simple and significant way that we can push back against the darkness and against the decay. High schoolers, would you consider doing that? Those that go to work tomorrow, those that enter into the community tomorrow, would you consider doing just that thing? Let's finish by returning to Corrington Boom. We left it with that uh, quite strong statement to the lieutenant, right? She, she said, uh, who knows, in his eyes, a half-wit may be worth more than a watchmaker or a lieutenant. The lieutenant hears this and he grows uh, angry and he sends her back to her cell. She stays there for the night, and the next day he comes uh, himself to get her from the cell, which isn't normal protocol. He comes and takes her from the, the cell, and he takes her to a courtyard, and they have this conversation in the courtyard. Here's how she recounts the story. We settled our backs against the wall. I could not sleep last night, the lieutenant said. Thinking about the book where you have read such different ideas, what else does it say in there? On my closed eyelids, the sun glimmered and blazed. It says, I began slowly, that a light has come into this world so that we need no longer walk in the dark. Is there darkness in your life, Lieutenant? There was a very long silence. 
There is great darkness, he said at last. I cannot bear the work I do here. Then all at once he was telling me about his wife and children in Bremen, uh, about their garden, their dogs, their summer hiking vacations. Bremen was bombed again last week. Each morning I ask myself, are they still alive? Corey says this. There is one who has them always in his sight, Lieutenant. Jesus is the light the Bible shows to me, the light that can shine even in such darkness as yours. You see, Corey had seen what you and I must see. Corey had seen the light of her Savior, the light of her King that entered into a broken world that gave his body to be broken so that we might have hope. That's the kind of king we worship and the kind of king we serve. We have hope in our darkness and decay, and it's not because he, uh, he helps us to avoid all, all of it. Many in this room uh, may be in the midst of darkness and decay, but our king is there with us. He does not leave us alone in it, and he promised that any darkness and decay that we experience is only ever temporary. Because he will return and he will make all things new and he will remove every tear from every eye. Darkness and decay will be no more when our king comes back. And that's our hope in this Advent season. To the extent that we understand that, to to the extent that we are compelled uh, and awed by that reality, then, then we will be salt and light in the dark and decaying places of our world, our schools, our neighborhoods, so that they might know the light of Christ that we found. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you did not spare your own son, but you delivered him up for us that we might be saved from the decay and darkness of this world. Decay and darkness that we full well deserve for our rebellion, for our rejection of your love. Um, And yet... While we were yet sinners and rebels, Christ died for us, and we rejoice in that reality. Um, I pray for my friends. Help us to be salt and light. Help us to be so captivated and compelled by your love and your light that we, we do not fear the darkness. We do not avoid the darkness, but we invade the darkness with your light and your power and your grace and your strength. In Jesus' name. Amen.